In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Tonight we begin our look at the people who come in and out of the story of Jesus' passion with the thread and the story of St. Peter. I do want you to keep in mind some things tonight and as we go forward in this series. We do not look at these stories in order to point and laugh at these biblical characters, but in order that we might learn from them, both good and bad. St. Paul reminds us that the scriptures are written for our learning, that we would learn from the examples of those who have gone before us. This serves us both to show how not to conduct ourselves, but also shows us how to live a godly life. The second thing that I'm going to do tonight and in the series is to trace a story, its thread all the way through the passion of our Lord Jesus. That means that while we didn't hear all of St. Peter's story tonight in our reading, I will try to tackle it, at least in highlights. And by the end of this Lenten season, as we've considered the entire passion, you'll have heard the whole thing. So I want to highlight three key events in the story of St. Peter for you from the Passion of Our Lord. First, the story of the foot washing on Monday, Thursday, which you've heard. Second, Peter's bold confession that he would not forsake Jesus. And third, Peter's denial of Jesus. So first, let's look at the story of the foot washing, which, again, we heard this evening. As they were sitting at table... Jesus rose to wash the disciples' feet, and when he came to Peter, Peter refused Jesus flat. Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said that if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. So Peter then responded, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head also. Here, Jesus connects washing with being a part of who he is. Now, this has led to some debates about the place of ceremonial foot washing in the church, and we can easily dispense with that because Jesus never commands his disciples to go on washing their feet as he did on the evening of his betrayal. He tells them instead that they are to emulate his humility, but he doesn't again command them to wash feet from from then on. Nonetheless, Jesus, in another place, does command a certain kind of washing. In Matthew 28, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul calls baptism a washing in Titus 3, when he says he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This washing of holy baptism joins us to Jesus in the most important ways. First, we are marked with the name of the Holy Trinity. St. Paul calls this an adoption into the family of God, making us heirs of everything that belongs to Jesus. He says also in Romans 6 that baptism makes us partakers in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, our friend Peter believed that Jesus should not abase himself by stooping to wash the disciples' feet. But this washing was not about 
how clean or dirty their feet were. This washing shows that the washing of Jesus does more than just remove dirt from the body, but is the means by which we are caught up into the saving work of Jesus. So Peter, finally understanding this, writes in his first epistle, Baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to a good conscience to God. Baptism doesn't cleanse dirt off of our bodies, but it cleanses us from all sin, which then enables us to stand before God with a pure and a clean conscience, knowing that our sins are indeed washed away. We stand, because of baptism, as God's forgiven children, heirs of everything that is part of God's kingdom. Now, the second part of Peter's story is his bold confession that he would not forsake Jesus, no matter what the rest of the disciples did, even if everybody else fell away from him, Peter would not fall away. Peter even says that he would die with Jesus rather than fall away. Now, you guys know the end of the story. Peter will go on in a few hours' time from our reading from this evening to flee from the guards who came to arrest Jesus and to deny him three times, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But for our purposes, the boldness of Peter's confession is worth considering on its own, and it is worth something that we should emulate, that is something that we should strive as Christians to do. We've heard in the last few weeks about the things that are a danger to our Christian faith. The devil, the world, and even our own sinful nature are working to get us to deny Jesus every single day. This is what is at the heart of all the social upheaval that we see around us every day. This is why the historic Christian teachings on a variety of topics is routinely lambasted as bigoted, hateful, phobic, and on the wrong side of history. This is why businesses are passing so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion policies, either to squeeze out faithful Christians that cannot stomach these policies, or to get them to conform to the new norms of the sexual revolution. Peter was afraid for his life, and many people in our world today, and maybe even some of you, are afraid for your livelihoods. But Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. We should mark these words well. As Christians, we do not have the luxury of disassociating ourselves with Jesus whenever it is convenient. If we do, he says that he will disassociate himself from us. As Christians, we are called to be confessors. We believe and so we speak, says the scripture. We are called to stand up and be counted among Christ's own. Now I'll admit that I have been afraid from time to time to stand up and be counted. A few weeks ago, when I wrote that letter to the editor about standing up for what is right, many of you read it, 
I was not only afraid for my family as I was getting ready to send it, that they would be maligned and mocked and dragged into the whole thing, but also that I would stir up a little bit of trouble here at the church from the outside. God be praised that none of those things happened, but yet the fear was real. But I ask you, what can our enemies do to us? What is the worst that can happen? Do we or do we not have a God who can raise the dead? Do we not sing in a mighty fortress is our God as we did on Sunday and take they our lives, goods, fame, child, and wife, let these all be gone? They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. People loved by God. Our Lord promises to provide for all our needs of body and soul, and on the last day, no matter what has happened to this body, to raise us up from the dead. Nothing that the enemies of the gospel can do to us here can touch our salvation. And so St. Peter, in his bold confession, is something worth emulating. And this leads us then nicely to our last point for this evening, Peter's spectacular fall, his denial of Jesus. Peter had lost faith that Jesus was the true Messiah, or at the very least, he misunderstood what that actually meant. And so despite the miracles he'd seen, Peter did not believe that Jesus had power over life and death, and even so, being associated with Jesus frightened him, especially during his arrest and trial. He was so scared that it wasn't some burly, secret police-type guy that caused Peter to back off his earlier boldness. But it was but a little servant girl who recognized Peter's accent. Luther tells us that sin makes us afraid that even the rustling of the leaves terrify our consciences. This is why John writes in his first epistle that perfect love casts out fear and why Jesus spends so much of his time instructing his followers not to be afraid of what they will undergo by virtue of being associated with him and their proclamation of the gospel. Peter's denial, as you know, is made even more poignant by the fact that Jesus tells us that Peter will deny him not once but three times in the course of the evening, even before the rooster crows twice that next morning. St. Luke gives us the gut-wrenching moment when after the third denial, the rooster crows and Jesus turns and makes eye contact with Peter from across the courtyard of the high priest. Peter realized then exactly what he had done, and he ran off weeping. Denying Jesus is a dangerous thing for any Christian. And if Peter had died in that state, he would have been lost to hell just like Judas was. But here, even in the midst of this denial, we see the steadfast love of Jesus. Dear saints, Recall how after the resurrection, Jesus restored Peter not once, but three times, the same number of times that Peter denied him. Jesus has the same steadfast love for you. As I said earlier, Jesus has made you a partaker in his death and resurrection when he claimed you in your baptism. He put his name on you 
and you became his beloved brother and a son or daughter of the Heavenly Father. Jesus' love for Peter, even after he denied him, shows Jesus' love for those who have wandered away from the faith altogether. Now, don't make, mistake me in this. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. We don't believe in a kind of a once-saved, always-saved kind of thing. But this does emphasize for us the patience of God towards sinners. St. Paul writes in Romans 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. St. John also writes that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just not to smash us in our sins, but to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when Peter finally became convinced that Jesus was in fact the triumphant victor over death and hell, nothing could stop Peter from holding on to Jesus' promises and boldly confessing the faith. So convinced was he that as Jesus said the disciples would follow him into death, in fact, church history tells us that Peter, like Jesus, was also crucified. Peter died for his confession, believing that his enemies could not touch his salvation. So we can see in Peter the warnings and the dangers of the pitfalls that we face as Christians. But we also see how the promises that Christ makes to us in baptism and in his word play out in our lives. So then, let us learn from Peter to receive the washing that Jesus has given to us in holy baptism, how to be bold in our confession of Christ, and how to receive the forgiveness of sins that Jesus so desperately wants to give us by his death and by the absolution that he proclaims to us. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.